Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. I am your host, Adam Todd Brown, joining me as co-host this week, Andy Sell is here. Oh, hi. I thought you were going to do the whole no co-host, but 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 Andy's here. But no, I'm a co-host. On this podcast, there is technically no co-host. So everyone who is on is a co-host podcast with me is a co-host. Yeah. Gotcha. I yeah, can't I, believe I can't keep it all straight in my head, you know? Well, that's a common dictator tactic, you know? You make the rules different for different people, keep everyone on their toes. Yeah, yeah. Gaslight, yeah. manipulate. I get yeah, it. I read it in the I read it in the Laws of Power book, you know. <laughs> so, we're covering a really interesting documentary this week. I sometimes pick these with absolutely no knowledge of what we are in for. And with this one, the only thing I knew about it going in is that it's made by the same guy who made Tickled. Which I still have not seen. I've been meaning to see it since it came out, but I just never have. You got to see Tickled. It yeah. takes a turn that... Yeah, that... You I are think not, that's why... <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like... I mean, it sucks. The turn it takes is, yeah. is for the worse, but it's not like... You're not going to come out of it traumatized or anything. Okay. I just got what happened was I think it coming on the heels of like stuff like Dear Zachary. Oh, yeah. And, it's not like that. And like capturing the Freedmans, which I'm still devastated by all these years later. I, I have a certain threshold for that kind of doc. And here, like knowing bit the what I do know about the turn it takes, I've been like, ah, I'm gonna have to be in a in a pretty sturdy mood to watch that. And I just have never felt sturdy enough but if it's not that dark then yeah i mean it's dark but it's not that dark okay and the guy who made tickled new zealand david farrier yeah new zealand filmmaker named david farrier once i saw that this was from the guy who made tickled i was like all right well this is going to be interesting if nothing <laughs> else and it takes place in his current city of residence which is ponsonby auckland <laughs> Which he calls the Beverly Hills of New Zealand. And I got to tell you, New Zealand, if this is your Beverly Hills, I was going to be like, let's talk, but I'm not going to be. No, no, that's great. No one should have a Beverly Hills that actually resembles Beverly Hills. That's a sign that your city has failed. Yeah, it does kind of make me wonder if he's ever been to Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, like walking around, I'm like, this looks like South Pasadena, which is, you know, yeah. nice. But it's not Beverly Hills. Yeah. Where's all the smash and grab robberies if it's your Beverly Hills also? Oh, yeah. Crime. <laughs> yeah. Crime. I crime. Mean, there is some crime in this of sorts. Yeah. This is, I think, so I guess before we, I like this doc so much. I, I really, too. I really enjoyed it. I, I definitely recommend it. But I also am like. I like it maybe because the true crime subgenre categorization for it feels like a tiny bit of a stretch. Oh, yeah. I guess sort of like in the same way that the Pez Outlaw felt that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just the entertainment quality of the documentary, 
I liked it a lot. I feel like it is meant to kind of give you a sense of what dealing with this Michael organ guy was like. <sighs> yeah. It feels like a horror movie in so many ways. Yeah. But, but like low, not, I don't want to say low stakes because some dark stuff occurs, but like it, it feels, I don't know. It feels like a real life horror movie. And I don't know how I can make that make sense other than to, uh, until we get into it. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of one of those like art house type horror. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 Or something. Yeah. It, no, it's, it's for sure. It's an a 24. Yeah. Uh, vibes and themes above everything. Uh, like the, yeah, quote unquote whole, elevated. Cause the whole time you're like, okay, something really, really crazy is going to happen here. Right. And and not really. No, it's just it's, kind of a slow burn the whole way through. It's, yeah, it's more like banality of evil is probably not the term to use because that's something very specific. But it's sort of in that vein of like, no, the mundane, the mundanity. Is that, is that a word? Mundanity? Mundaneness? It should be. Yeah. The, the everyday shit, the quotidian that is evil in this world, that is horror, like is, is on display in this film uh, with this yeah. guy. It all starts at a business in the Beverly Hills of New Zealand called Bashford Antiques and Interiors. Yeah. Jillian Bashford, she is the owner of the business, and she starts making news because there's a parking spot in front of her business, and it is technically a private parking spot. So she enforces that parking with a little bit of an iron fist. She hires a guy, and if you park in front of her business, they will wait for you to <laughs> leave your car and will immediately either put a boot on it or they'll just pull this big van up and block you in and make you pay like $700 to get out. Yeah. It's Which is very, very LA, uh, very Beverly Hills of uh, a New Zealand thing to do. It sure is. Yeah, that it sounds kind of like something like LA would do to keep homeless people out of a certain space. Like, yeah. but this is just, it's kind of just a money-making operation. Yeah, for sure. It's like her very clearly right away. It's very transparent that she is, her business is not doing well. She's kind of a nutcase. And this is passive income to her that she can just generate this money by you know, acting a little nefariously, but who's going to stop me kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. And for the longest time, no one does stop them. And David Farrier, it's happening in the city where he lives. So this obviously catches his attention. He starts writing about it in different outlets and there's all these news reports. And in one of these news reports, he sees Jillian Bashford say that she does not know the person who does this parking enforcement. She just hired the a company and, you know, they sent a guy. Uh, the clamping, the clamper, the clamp. Yeah, they authority. call it the clamp. Yeah. The, clamp. Yeah. the vindictive clamper. Uh, what's, I can't remember the name of the business. I wish I'd t t taken it down, but there's a name on the side of the truck. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I he drives around. The name of his towing business. But David is suspicious right away because he's like, well, yeah, she knows the guy. I see them together all the time. Yeah. So he calls her to find out why she lied about this in this news report. And she hangs up on him 
and then start sending out cease and desist letters to everyone who is talking bad about Bashford antiques. They all get cease and desist letters saying you better stop or we're going to see defamation. Yeah. From a lawyer, uh, supposedly. Yeah. And so David Farrier looks into it a little more and eventually finds out that the name of the lawyer who sent the letter and also the name of the clamper is Michael Organ. Yeah. Which even that part was kind of misleading because when I saw the title Mr. Organ, I was like, oh, this is going to be like about a organ trafficker or something. huh?" Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I got to say, like, I don't love the title because it conjures up a bunch of different thoughts possibly like is this about going to be about a penis is this about an organ uh harvester is this about you know somebody who plays an organ what's the like you know which i guess yeah it kind of gets your 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 head going but then it's not about any of those things no it's just the guy's name yeah it's just uh, <laughs> just michael organ michael organ michael organ and he seems like a real character. Yeah. Big count Dante vibes with this guy. He's, I don't know. You've probably met people like him. <laughs> I've definitely met people like him. Like yeah. these are the, the weirdo losers, you know, the people, you know, where it's like, you're stuck in a certain station, but then like you get to know him a little bit and you're like, Oh, you're frighteningly desperate in a very crazy way. Yeah. Like yeah. you have delusions. No one has good things to say about Michael Organ at all. Like yeah. not in the slightest. One person who lived with him at one point described living with him as high velocity hell. <laughs> which yeah. which one of them is it that's like you get stuck talking to him and it's the 10 minutes becomes 10 hours, but it's not even a fun 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, his roommates, they go through this thing where they talk to some of his roommates, people that have lived with him, because he's trying to find information about this guy, because the only thing out there about him so far is that he pretended to be royalty, right? Like yes. he had some claim that he was a prince from somewhere and and the claim was debunked. But there's all these like he's been in court a bunch of times, but there's no information about him. So he starts talking to his roommates, his former roommates. And like, I got to say, there's a there is a lead buried in this film regarding Michael Oregon's sexuality. And I kind of respect that. Like they're like I when they started talking to these roommates, I was like, oh, these aren't just roommates. Like some of these folks are giving me very strong ex lover uh, vibes. And they do kind of touch on it a little later, but they never make that the issue. And I really do like that about this film, that he's not being like, look at this, you know, look at the gays. Look at how crazy the gays are and what's going on with them. Like, I really appreciate the restraint in that uh, department. Yeah. And it's 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 definitely that restraint is warranted because this guy is a special kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. His this is a special kind of like and it, <laughs> this dude, he starts out. It's so simple. Again, it's these just roommates being like, Yeah, he's an annoying person. You've met the type, psychic vampire, right? Feeds yeah. off drama, really into conflict, never quite sure where you stand with him, impossible to understand. And then it slowly just builds until this guy is like a cosmic horror old one. He's <laughs> like a fucking Lovecraftian creature. It is yeah. Uh, it's so, yeah, he's very special. Yeah. They run us through an incident early on that 
I think kind of explains how special his thinking is. Dude, (laughs) this is the only story about this guy. You make a movie about him. (laughs) He, He ran a sex shop and he didn't pay the rent and got evicted. So of course you're going to want to get, get some revenge. Absolutely. Why not? How dare someone kick you out for not paying rent? Yeah. I mean, I hate to side with the landlord in any given situation. Yeah. But the landlord of a sex shop, why not? Yeah. Why not? (laughs) And so Michael Oregon decides he's going to get revenge on this landlord. And in the name of getting that revenge, he decides he's going to steal his yacht. Yeah. Why not? Sure. And at why, first, why not? <laughs> eh? right, T-shirt, right, why, print it, free money. Why not? N a u g h t. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that or why nautical miles? Yeah, the, yeah. The, why nautical? Yeah, why nautical? Why nautical? We did it. <laughs> we did. We found our way there. It we took a it. minute. Available in the T-shirt store now. <laughs> and so. With this boat plot, they make it seem kind of like haphazard and not well thought out at first. Yeah. And it's a lot like you just described people talking about Michael. Like at first it's like, oh yeah, he just like ran on the boat and got kicked off by a guy, which we'll talk about the guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then as you get further and further into the documentary, it's like, well, no, he also had documents forged. He tried to frame a guy like it yeah. was such an elaborate plot. And throughout the whole movie, he's denying he ever did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah. it is. You're right. Like stealing, a, stealing somebody's yacht sounds like like some Florida man shit. Right. It just sounds right. like some, you know, random guy who's living in the fringes of society you know just is like fuck it i'm gonna steal a yacht i'm crazy whatever but no it's like a plan and there's like he works stuff out in this bizarre way but also always feels like he's improvising i don't know it's strange it's strange let's talk about the actual act of trying to steal the boat (laughs) he carries out this plan he jumps on the boat and is subsequently stopped and thrown off the boat by a guy named Jamie Lockett, who yeah. was famous in New Zealand for having been labeled a terrorist yeah. at one point. He describes himself as a fixer. He is a notorious bad guy. And just imagine, you're just trying to steal this boat from your unknowing landlord in a fucking known terrorist hops on the boat to stop you it would yeah it would be like if you were stealing somebody's boat and then you know you're you're down in the hold like doing or up on the deck wherever he was you you're fucking around on your cell phone being like yay i stole the boat ha 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 whatever changing your facebook status to stole your boat bitch and then like ted kaczynski just comes up out of the <laughs> And you're like, okay, what did my life just become a movie? Yeah. Like that's sort of what this is like. Cause Jamie Lockett is like, you, you can go down a rabbit hole with this guy. Like there could be movies, multiple movies made about this guy. There probably have been, I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. He is a very interesting figure. He was like a mob enforcer turned Maori sovereignty activist. 
turned life coach and like his whole thing is karate again count dante vibes everybody <laughs> in this story everyone in new zealand is count dante google him i guess if you don't know who i'm talking about but like he's he's like obsessed with karate and he was like part of his whole thing is just he hates the cops if you read about him like he just has a vendetta against the police and so he constantly is just fucking with cops and that led him to being part of this like maori activism cell this like militant maori sovereignty movement that all got arrested and he was one of them. And it's just like, yeah, he's like, thinks he's Ned Kelly or something. It's weird. And so Michael Organ's trying to steal this boat. And that guy <laughs> showed up. Yeah, imagine you're stealing a boat and the founder of the Proud Boys comes at you. Yeah, Dog the Bounty Hunter. Dog the What? <laughs> what? How? So he gets caught. They, they throw him off the boat. They put him in a dinghy and just like send him up the river or something. And Michael Organ gets sentenced to three years in prison over it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when they talk about him at various times, pretending to be a prince, pretending to be a count. Yeah. And he did it all in court. He, he yeah. was just constantly suing people. He's not a lawyer, but he like pretends to be kind of, which I thought that was illegal, but I guess not. And so, yeah, maybe in New Zealand, impersonating a lawyer is allowed but he's this is when he starts doing all of this like it's not me stuff like i don't know who this other person is because he's he's he on paper he's always misspelling his name yeah so like it's always in these like court documents and stuff his name is misspelled and then he uses that later to be like well that's not me that's yeah. someone else because they're not spelling my name right and it's like but they're doing the thing you're doing. Like there's photos of you in court that day. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a gaslighter for sure. Yeah. And yeah, that's when we get to his roommates, they start talking about that. Yeah. And so the Bashford antique story manages to make it all the way to goddamn parliament in New Zealand. <laughs> and I mean the George Clinton funk band. Yeah. And, yeah. Bootsy Collins was there. Uh, <laughs> Maceo. Yeah. Parliament in New Zealand basically passes a law that bans the clamping practice that Bashford Antiques is doing. And bans stepping on my funk. <laughs> and go figure, Bashford Antiques goes out of business almost immediately. <laughs> it's almost as if blackmailing people into paying $700 for parking was their business. Yeah. No, that was definitely their business. That was the only money Jillian was making. And so David Farrier takes the Bashford antique sign home with him, assuming <sighs> it was just trash, which not the victim blame, but he should have known better. That's yeah. That's like taking a, a clock out of the Amityville house, man. Like just <laughs> yeah. let that burn, let it go. Yeah. yeah like to get it. I get the impulse for sure, but you're bringing a haunted doll into your home. Yeah, and it was kind of him gloating a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he was saying, hey, well, my coverage of this obviously corrupt business got this obviously corrupt business shut down. And now here I am on the porch of my home Yeah, with the signs <laughs> of that business. That's another thing. I will say, in general, this movie, there's some stuff David Farrier does where it's like, that's 
you're coming in a little hot on most of this. Like I like just not even from necessarily an ethical standpoint, but from like a self-preservationist standpoint, like you need to buffer yourself a little bit between you and the subject. And, you know, he's, he's a little, I think we watch him learn some lessons as this movie is being made. I saw an interview with him where he was talking about like what he's learned as a filmmaker through this experience and as a documentarian and I feel like he's learned some lessons about like distance and approach and how to maybe be a little more careful about certain things. Yeah, because he really does turn into a victim of this Michael yeah. guy. If in no other way than from a time expenditure standpoint. Well, that's the thing is that it, it seems like that's what this guy's deal is, is just sucking your time and energy. Yeah. Yeah, like that seems like just a thing he enjoys doing. Yeah, and I Which, guess that, that's also the thing with people like this, though, is that they're so unassuming, right? You you meet somebody like this, and you're just like, oh, he's just a deluded loser. You know, there's maybe some darkness in there, but he's probably harmless. But then it's like, no, this is this is all he does, and I I feel like yeah, you don't see that coming. David so, Farrier tugs on the spider's web. <laughs> And so before we find out what happens with him stealing the signs, we do know Jillian Bashford called the police. Yeah. David arrested. But then they cut to Simon Stockley, who was Michael's accomplice in the yacht stealing scheme. And this is where the yacht story starts to become a little less silly and like way more nefarious because Simon, what he basically says is that Michael groomed him to be that accomplice. Like he entered his life and just took on this cult leader, like presence Yeah, where, where he was just breaking this guy down every day that he was around him to the point that he convinced him to try and steal a yacht. Yeah. He, yeah. He gets that guy to help him do the forgeries and right. the, yeah, the fake deed thing or title, whatever it is. And it's yeah, he's he just sucks this guy into it. He's, he's like he makes a Renfield. Yeah. Like he's Dracula making himself a little familiar to help him out with his vampire tasks. And yeah, we find out later he's not the only person that yeah. Michael. Yeah, got it's a it's this. a pattern. Yeah. Once Simon, right, he he got arrested and he cooperated. I don't know if he did any time. I, don't I can't so. remember, but he did say he was like being caught, being busted, like community service, parole, whatever it was he had to do. He's like, it was all worth it just to be free of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. The um, way people describe him, like vampire is, does seem yeah. like the proper word for it. Yeah. He's, this dude is a real life fucking vampire. Right down to the, like, he has a layer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His house is weird. It's weird. Yeah. And so we know David stole this sign. And Jillian called the police, had him arrested. So he's facing a court date at some point. Meanwhile, the signs are just under his porch. Yeah. His so at any point, he could have just given them back. Yeah. yeah apparently, well, that's apparently he called her, right? To be like, I've got the signs. You can have them back. And she just was like, no, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. But And, and so he's got this court date coming up. And the night before they're supposed to go to court, uh-oh, Someone stole the signs from underneath his porch, which keep him inside, dude. Why? Yeah. I, but here's the thing. If he kept them inside, 
I feel like they still would have gotten stolen. They still would have gotten stolen. I really believe that they still would have gotten stolen. Do you think at this point, well, I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we got some reveals on the way. Yeah. Well, what were you going to say? Uh, do you think at this point Michael Organ has the key to his house? I don't think at this point he yeah. has because they haven't had enough like physical contact. But we'll talk, I, yeah. I have a theory on how he got. Okay. There. Okay. I'm interested to know that because I've been wondering too, like at what point did he do this? Because we also find out that he's Michael's been going around and spying on David. Yes. Without like, and we don't know exactly when that started. So I'm always like, wait, how what was he already like when he sent the letter? Was he already on to him? Yeah, was he maybe. already like staking him out? Yeah, because it does. There does seem to be that kind of element to it. It's not just that this guy sucks the life out of people who come into his orbit. He looks for people he, that he can do that to. He goes looking for victims. Yeah, he absolutely goes out on the prowl like a vampire. <laughs> it's nuts. And so David obviously loses the court case because now he doesn't have the signs and he's ordered to pay $3,000 to replace him. And so now David's really interested in Michael Organ and Jillian Bashford. And he starts just kind of following them around. And he notices that they're always together, but it seems like Michael is not like Jillian's like right hand or... Like, it seems like he's in charge. Yeah. At first, the I, when you see them together in the documentary, you're like, oh, he's like her henchman. Yeah. She's she's the the powerful boss here. But yeah, once it, he's like leading her around. Yeah. And David invites Michael to sit down for an interview now that this whole court thing is over, expecting that he's not going to show up. <sighs> and he shows up with Jillian in tow. <laughs> Again, man, you just invited a vampire into your house. <laughs> yeah. The interview's weird as shit. It answers yeah. zero questions. Like it just kind of brings up more questions. Yeah. It's this is the point where it's super illuminating because this is the point I feel like where you have to be like, oh man, I, it might be too late to turn this off, but I want to turn this off. Like yeah. just at, like if you're in that situation, because this is when Michael and he starts talking and you see this turn in him during this interview where it's like, oh, he's not there's not just something off about him. Like there's something very off about like he is dangerous. Yeah. And I think this could be where we got access to David's key because we keep referencing this and it's that's right. Like it's coming up very soon in the notes. Basically, at one point, David gets a phone call from Michael and Michael's like, hey, just a heads up. Someone in your inner circle gave me a key to your house. So just so you know, there's like wolf wolves in sheep's clothing all around you and yeah. all, around all of us. I, I, well, and this comes too off the heels of this interview where he says like he comes in. First of all, he comes in with his whole like talking about his beard guy. And how he was at the the salon and he didn't like, he was like never going back to that salon again. And people are trying to like address him and be like, hey, we're, you know, let's get started. How are you doing? But he's not acknowledging anybody. He's just talking about this salon thing over and over again. And you're like, oh, he's annoying. I get it. He's just annoying. He's an annoying narcissist, whatever. But then during the interview, when he starts talking about like controlling the narrative yeah. and 
And he has that whole thing about like, you notice that he's being asked yes and no questions here, but he's not answering them. He's just complicating them further. He's just right. taking these, these very simple questions and like deconstructing them to the point where they mean nothing. And the, all in this talk about like, you know, you have to be wary of people. I don't trust journalists because I don't trust people that want to control the narrative. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So when he when he gives Michael the key and is doing that, like someone in your inner circle, someone you can't trust, it's like it's all part of his gaslighting and his manipulating and his separating and isolating his victim from his circle. And I think that interview could be where he got access to the key, because here's the thing. I don't know how many people know this. I didn't know it. I, a couple months back, put an Instagram post up. And it was of a keychain that I had bought and you could see my house key in it. Oh yeah. And my wife was like, uh, Hey, people can make a copy of house keys just from pictures. I was like, what? And then I Googled it. And yeah, sure enough. You just need a picture of a key to make a copy of it. So if David's keys were out at any point during that interview, snap a photo. Yeah. It could have been as simple as that. Take a picture of it, go get a copy of that key made. Because yeah, yeah, he sure does have a key to David's house. Did David change the locks? It seemed no, like the, I don't think he did. And that's, I mean, maybe he did and just didn't say he did because, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was a moot point by then. But I feel like, yeah, if I were him, first thing I would do when Michael's handing me that key, I would be like, well, this sure, certainly isn't the only one he has. He absolutely has copies oh, yeah. of this. And so we're going to go ahead and change those locks right now. Because, yeah, yeah there's just had, no other. I would have had people changing the locks while I was meeting with him. Yeah, yeah, you call somebody up. Because he's a, I think what he could have done, he could have even taken David's key without him knowing. Because yeah. he's also kind of a nocturnal animal. Like, he, he goes around yeah. at night, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if he just actually took, because this is also 2016. I don't know if we had the, or 2017, whatever. I'm not sure if they had the, make a copy from a picture thing then, but may, I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, sure, but I right. wouldn't be surprised if he actually took the key, went out like to somebody else that he knows, one of his cat's paws that he has <laughs> fucking hollowed out and turned into a Renfield and just been like, here, copy this key for me. And then gone back and like, you know, who knows? Maybe when he was giving David that key, that was him giving him his original key back. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but However, he did it. He, 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 nobody, come on, nobody came to him. He took that key and made a copy of it somehow. Have you ever seen any of the Sarah Lawrence College sex cult documentaries? No, no, I haven't. Michael Organ reminds me of the guy who did that, who is mm -hmm. a guy named Lawrence Ray. And Lawrence Ray was this guy who would, when he showed up in your life, he just like, became the dominating presence in your life. And at first he would do it like by being nice and then eventually would just flip a switch and you were like a slave. And it seems like Michael Organ is doing a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I always wonder where people learn it. Yeah, I don't know because you know we they do touch a little bit on the his family, right? Like but uh, this, again, this whole documentary, it's like, I have so many more questions 
Like, I want to know so much more about this, but also I feel like the less I know, probably the better. So I don't know where he would have learned it, but it seems like he's been doing this from a young age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I get the feeling that maybe he's like, he's like, if the good son, you know, Macaulay Culkin and the good son grew up, you know, he's like one of these killer kid, psychopath kid uh, archetypes that has become an adult and has perfected the art of like gaslighting and manipulating and you know, he's constantly negging Jillian. Like he's constantly like tugging on her leash. Yeah. And like browbeating her in this way. That's like, yeah. And again, all the roommates, the way they talk about him, it's yeah, it's, it's like classic cult leader stuff where you like separate somebody from their social group, get them to not trust anybody, alienate them, isolate them, and then just, you know, consume them. It's almost like demonic possession too. Like, and even like the peaks and valleys of it are like demonic possession a little yeah. bit because Michael is very much a hot and cold type. Like it comes off as a little bipolar. I mean, a lot bipolar. Yeah. He'll go from being chatty and friendly and you see it, especially in that interview from like, ha 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 to like suddenly being like, we must remember that this man is the enemy, you know, yeah. like, whoa, okay. And then just gets up and starts putting his stuff on and is like, we're leaving. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. David talks about how, because these two start hanging out because David is just like trying to find out what this guy's deal is. And they don't mention it a lot throughout the documentary, but we are reminded at various points, this is five years of David Farrier's life. Like he spent five years just following this one dude. Yeah. And like, on the surface, you would be like, why? Like, who, why would you, like, he doesn't immediately seem like a documentary type figure. No, but, again, he's not, he himself is not that interesting, right? Like, just on this, on the paper. But he gets into this idea, even when he's giving David the key and he starts talking about, like, when David's like, why are you telling me this? You know, and, and Michael's like, it, it tied in with so and so and such and such. And it's like, you're writing a soap opera in your head. Like this is just drama and conflict for you. It's all about having a narrative. You are, you are trying to just make things happen out there. Like, and that's what makes him interesting. He's not, yeah, as a subject, it's more what he says about the world. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. David describes talking to him as paying a soul tax. Yeah. Because he will just start talking about, nonsense boring shit and just keep a person on the phone for hours yeah and he has jillian there with him so much through these in-person interactions just like in the background and it's again it's like does he is this an audience he wants he says at one point he says maybe i'll make my own documentary and it's like (laughs) you're already making one this is what this whole thing is for you you are entertaining yourself right yeah, there's a moment in this when David is on the phone. I don't know who he's talking to, but he's talking about Michael and he seems like a broken man. Like he starts kind of crying over it. Yeah. Because he's like, I don't want this dude in my life anymore. Yeah. But also, I've been spending all these years on this. Like, I have to finish this movie. Yeah, there's like a sunken cost fallacy, right? Where he's like, I fucking did it. I'm too, I'm in too deep. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't stop now, but he wants to stop. And it's almost like, again, the demonic possession metaphor is rich here because when he says to him, you know, hey, do you want to start hanging out without Jillian? You know, like, do you want to just you and me? Yeah. Ca- like continue talking. Uh, it's almost like the the exorcist in the exorcist, you know, Father Karras being like, take me, jump out of her and take me. <laughs> yeah. I will I will destroy this evil. And the, the next rest of the documentary is this slow motion, him jumping out the window because it's like he's trying what he can to. It's almost like he's trying to destroy David, you know. He's trying to learn. He's trying out these different methods to see what he can do to like catch him slipping up or to get him to like tell on himself or to break him in some way. And he can't do any of it. Michael is just, it's it's all, it's like he's trying different weapons on a vampire, you know, but he doesn't know what the sunlight does. He can't figure out like, what is the magic bullet here? Because Michael is just impervious to all of it. He's impervious to flattery. You know, he at one point, Michael, David tries complimenting Michael about his like legal prowess and his ability to handle his own in court. And Michael deflects it, but then makes then flatters himself. It's like your compliment means nothing to me, but I think I'm great. But also what you said is wrong. It's it's like he's he's driving David insane. Yeah. And from all accounts, that's what he does with everyone he meets. He just plays this game where he's trying to wear you down. And it seems like it's just for fun. (laughs) Like there's not really a profit motive to it all the time. It seems like with Jillian probably, but he just, it seems like it's just what he likes to do. Ah, yeah. 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 And when David's like getting frustrated, it mirrors the audience's frustration because you're frustrated watching it too. You're like, fuck, I I don't know why I want to watch this guy anymore. Like he's fascinating, but in the dullest way. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes it more interesting. Yeah. It's just infuriating. He's infuriating presence. And so one of the running themes throughout this is that no one wants to talk about Michael Organ. He gets Jillian's son to talk about him a little bit. And Jillian's son was like, yeah, the minute I met the guy, I knew he was a creep. We tried yeah. twice to get him out of my mom's life. <laughs> like, it's sort of like the horror movie thing. Uh, Cause he like, he packs all of his shit in the van. Right. And like gets him to go and then yeah. sees him later. And he's back there again. It's like when a, when a, when a protagonist has a haunted object and they go and like put it in a box and throw it in a river and then they come back home and there it is sitting on the fucking table. It's that it's like that quality. It's the cat came back the very next day. Like (laughs) it's he's, he's, he's relentless. And so, yeah, there's all these scenes of David, like trying to talk to Michael's family and no one like to varying degrees. No one wants to talk about it. Like, yeah. Some of them we, don't trust David. Some of them are scared of Michael. Like, yeah. No one wants to talk to him. Yeah, we never really get, we get a hint that there's, and hey, look, if you want to do a prequel, like that's part of it. Now that this is out there, maybe Michael Organ's life will be a little more, I don't know, maybe his family would talk now. Like, and we get a yeah. sequel prequel movie of like, what happened to Michael Organ to make him this way? What did he do to his family? Because yeah, his sister-in-law is scared of him. His His brother feels protective but also in a way of like i don't want to fucking deal with him but but 
nobody else should mess with him because then I'll have to deal with him because I'm actually a lawyer. And right. his dad is almost like Brian Cox in the ring where it's just <laughs> like, uh, don't remind me, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a terrible thing. And we get little snippets from all these other people that won't go on record, won't use their name. But we, the story I like is the one about him. I don't like it. But when he punched his roommate in the head six times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she called the cops. So he went into the bathroom and scratched his face so that yeah. he could come out. And I mean, like, that's single white female fucking uh, unlawful entry Pacific Heights. Yeah. Talented Mr. Ripley level shit. Yeah, it's the kind of shit you want to think only happens in movies. And yeah, no, I've seen no. enough episodes of Fear Thy Roommate to know that no, yeah. that happens in real life too. Uh, during all this, when he's trying to get in touch with anyone who will talk to him about Michael, at one point he calls to try and talk to Michael and finds out Michael's in a meeting until later in the afternoon. So he's like, oh, so that means Jillian's home alone. I'm going to go yeah. talk to her without Michael. Go and, go destroy the casket and put a communion wafer in his native soil. <laughs> and for one thing, the the house she lives in looks like a Waco compound. <laughs> it's like there's like an airlock of fences. Yeah, it's just super duper reinforced. And of course, she doesn't talk to David. And not only that, Michael shows up with a trespassing notice. Oh my god. Like he knew up. where he was. Yeah. And David's like, we came and knocked on the door <laughs> and asked if we could talk to Jillian and then left. How was that trespassing? And Michael's yeah. like, here's your notice. Thank you. Yeah. The Imagine the audacity of having someone's house key that you've obtained illegally and then serving them with a trespassing notice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this leads to a bit of a confrontation between Michael and David because Michael throughout all of this, like his main point of contention is, Hey, all the things you're attributing to me, I didn't do them. Like if yeah. you look at these court records, they sign the name wrong. It's none of it's me. I've never lied to anyone. I've never hurt anyone. <laughs> and that becomes a big confrontation because eventually David's like, Dude, you lie to everyone. Yeah, yeah. And they just start going back and forth over it. And then at the end of this huge blowout argument, David goes, well, do you want to have a coffee? And Michael's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then they just like hang out and have coffee. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super bizarre. I think it's funny when Michael's talking about when he's denying his that he's threatened people and he's denying that he's hurt anyone because he yeah. what he starts with is you don't have any proof that I did like it's not even like I didn't do it it's well you don't have any footage you've never seen any footage of me doing these things because yeah. and then goes because I've never done it but also that's not true because David's like no I literally have footage of you threatening people like yeah you can't and it's but the the it's like he's putting his fingers in his ears, closing his eyes and saying, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then after that confrontation, things focus on another friend of Michael's, a guy named Brent, who was the other accomplice in yeah. the yacht stealing scandal. And this is where the yacht story gets really, really dark. Yeah. 
because Brent was the person that Michael tried to frame for stealing the yacht and being the mastermind behind the scheme. But this is a different yacht. This is um this is this is really I was a little confused by this, but what the read that I have on it is that he was Brent was this guy that had a bookstore. Yeah. And he he was an older guy recently out of the closet and was like had a poetry club at his bookstore basically and had like mostly younger men. Yeah. Um which is again I kind of like there's an insinuation in the doc almost about it, but he doesn't he doesn't go into it. And I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, but so Brent has this boat, this model yacht in the bookstore that, that from what I understood, because at first I was like, wait, is he trying to accuse this guy of being the mastermind behind the yacht thing after this? But he had a yacht that had, um, it's like a model boat and Michael accused him of stealing. That is what I got from the doc because at one point, one of them even comments on like, oh, it's interesting that this yacht thing has popped up in Michael's life twice. Oh, sure. But I'm so, not sure. It was. It's a little hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, he accuses this Brent guy of trying to steal a yacht and yeah. Brent kills himself over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the he gets into Brent's life and isolates him from everyone he knows. And Brent is clearly like Brent's got some, you know, I can, you know, like I'll, I'm anxious and depressed. So I'll say it. Brent has like some mental, emotional health regulation issues, apparently. Yeah. And he has, you know, medications he takes and, and is like under, you know, has depression and anxiety. And Michael like feeds off of that and makes it worse and drives him away from his friends to the point where, yeah, Brent kills himself. And somebody calls him out at the funeral. Yes. That yeah. footage was great. Yeah, that footage was pretty wild. It's someone, yeah, speaking at the funeral and being like, we all know who did this. Like, yeah. we know the reason this happened. And yeah, Brent was, one of the things Michael does is he fires off these letters to people like pretending to be a lawyer. And Brent was getting harassed by a lawyer over this boat thing. And it turns yeah. out just Michael sending these letters. It kind of reminds me of, a thing that is in the FBI files about Tupac, like near the end of Tupac's life, he was being extorted by the Jewish defense league and someone they don't name, but who seems like it's probably Suge Knight. But basically what was happening is someone and the Jewish defense league were working in concert. Was it the, was it the anti-defamation league or was it the Jewish the Jewish Defense League is a whole different. It's a whole other. Gr- I mean, well, the Anti-Defamation League is fucked as shit too. But uh, yeah, but the Jewish Defense League is like they're it was like Mossad. Yeah, they, they are. Yeah. They're like a borderline terrorist group. And the way this scheme would work, it happened to EZE also. But they would start getting these threatening phone calls and letters that were coming from. They didn't know it was coming from the Jewish Defense League, but that's yeah. where they were coming from. And the accomplice on the inside, be it Suge Knight or whoever it was, the name is redacted in the files, would go to Tupac or Eze and be like, oh, I can I can take care of that for you. If, like, you just got to give me like $50,000 and I can make sure your family's safe. And oh, my God. Stopped. And that happened to Tupac near the end of his life where 
he was getting these threatening letters and someone shows up and is like, oh, I can fix it. But that's the person who was kind of orchestrating having the letters sent. Yeah. In Complicated protection racket shit. Yeah. And it seems like Michael might have been doing something similar to Brent, which crazy. Yeah. It, it seems like the conclusion they land on in the documentary before we get to the insane asylum, which that's <laughs> That that's a discussion unto itself. Dur- sorry, during that whole Brent thing, there's a shot where they have a still photograph, and it moves from the photo of Brent at Nostromo Books, his bookstore, over to Michael in the background, and like zooms in on him. And it just like I was like, when that happened, I was like, this is like Mungo. Yeah, <laughs> that is some like Mungo shit right there. Yeah, and the conclusion they seem to land on is that there's all these points throughout the documentary where when they're interviewing Michael, he's like, yeah, I'm, I could tell you who gave you the key, but these are like very dangerous people. Or I think we all know who sent the letter. And like, eventually David picks up on what Michael means in those moments is it's me. Like I'm, I'm the bad guy. I'm yeah. the per- like, he's kind of Kaiser. So saying it. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly. It's Kaiser. So or Tyler Durden a little bit where there's like a little bit of a hint that like, I, I mean, Mr. Hyde, which is also me. Yeah. And yeah, that seems to be kind of the conclusion. And I, I buy it. I do like, there was no point where I didn't think Michael was the one doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not like the way this reveal is handled is it's less reveal more thesis. But it's like, it, it is kind of like, well, this is a little toothless because we already know that he's the problem. But the idea, I, I appreciate the idea that it's like, well, he's just bored. And if he's going to be bored, he's going to bore you into entertaining him. And and it's just, yeah, it's, it's he's, what is it he, fucking David says about him? He says he's a black hole. Yeah. He says, Michael Organ is a black hole. He's so boring, it drives you insane. And that is... Perfect because that's what that's evil. It's an expanding nothingness. It's a it's a hunger, it's a void that can't be filled. And yeah. that's cosmic horror, baby. <laughs> like and I feel like the documentary was trying to kind of give us that same feeling. Yeah. Like you get to the end and it's like, what just happened? Yeah. Like what like what did I even watch? Yeah. Like I don't know what I learned. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it I don't know how like to feel. It, like it's an entertaining documentary, but in terms of learning things, it really does just kind of take up your time. Yeah. Like you don't come out the other end with any other real concrete conclusions about Michael Organ. No, other it doesn't than, have a it doesn't have a game plan. <laughs> yeah, other than than that he's just like an evil spirit in the world. And it, I love that. Yeah. That's what it, someone says that about him, right? That he's yeah, it, the documentary starts with David Ferrier pulling up to an old insane asylum that's been abandoned. Yeah. And then we don't really find out why. And they backtrack five years to the start of the documentary. So it ends with him pulling up to this insane asylum again. And it turns out that asylum after it was shut down was like turned into apartments. Yeah. It's like cheap housing. Yeah. And I'm not going to abandoned psychiatric hospital turned cheap housing. It looked like kind of a cool place to live. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. I'd live there. I mean, as long as Michael Organ's not there. That's the thing. The landlord, like he's talking about Michael Organ, who lived there at one point. And that's where we really learn about what 
kind of guy this dude was like he yeah. would just this landlord is like he would just try to be in your space it's all the it's time. the it's the first time we get someone who's willing to be on record yeah speaking confidently and like whatever who has like aware you know because jillian's son he has a perspective but this guy has no agenda he's got no skin in the game right uh, and it's the first time we get that perspective from someone in this film. And I think it's so fitting that it's like, yeah, he was haunting an abandoned mental institution. Like, of course, he escaped from an asylum. Like, it's such classic horror movie shit. And then the way this landlord talks about him. Yeah. Always wanted to be in your in other people's spaces. Uh, sneak around at night when sneak around at night reveals that Michael had told him about David. That like yeah. he knew who David was beforehand because we don't know how long Michael's had David in his sights. Yeah. And yeah, the landlord is the one who points out that, yeah, this is what Michael does. He finds victims, people he that he knows them. he can do this to. And he's like, he's got a key to your house. And yeah. David hadn't told anyone that Michael had a key to his house. This guy just knew because Michael was yeah. like bragging about it. Yeah, Michael was like, hey, bud, hey, Horatio, I've got a key to this guy's house. I'm Dracula. And uh, <laughs> tells him Michael had been like basically surveilling David's house at night and just like sneaking around his house like almost immediately. Yeah. And he kind of makes it seem like, yeah, you were you were one of the victims he focused on. Yeah. And that's yeah, he's the guy that then is like he's like an evil spirit. Yeah. Maybe he's an evil spirit. And it's true. Like that's kind of what I appreciate about this doc is that it it is like you know my hor my dumb horror genre brain like sees all these parallels in it, but also is like, but it's true. And this is the thing. This is like this is why we make the metaphors, right? This yeah. is why we tell monster stories is to explain this kind of shit when we come across it. And it's like, how do you explain it? Well, obviously, you don't need sunlight and holy water and silver bullets. Uh, but empathy and then boundaries and uh, some kind of communal consequence would probably have uh, put this guy in some kind of check maybe at an earlier point in his life. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what could have been done to fix this guy? <laughs> I mean, we'll never know till we get the prequel about the Oregon family. They can call it um, Mr. and Mrs. Oregon. Yeah. I would definitely watch more about this guy, which again is crazy because he's yeah. really not that interesting. No, and I'll tell you, David Farrier's probably not going to make another doc about him. <laughs> no, David Farrier, we find out at the end, like moved to a new address and didn't tell anyone. Yeah, where this is moved. not the kind of gum you can scrape off. You got to just lose the shoes, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems like add him to the list of people who are kind of scared of this guy. Yeah, but yeah. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Michael Organ has like real world carnage in his wake. Like he has ruined lives. He has devastated people. He's traumatized and re-traumatized people. He's responsible indirectly, maybe, but probably directly for at least one death. Yes. Yeah. Do you think he's ever killed anyone? Here's the thing. At one point at the beginning, when he's doing that first interview and he hands him a, he like does this thing with these mugs, right? Mm -hmm. When he's having tea or whatever with uh, David and he's, he like, double thinks which mug he's going to hand them, you know, as like a joke. And he okay. says something about it. Like, you know, it's some throwaway remark about like, do you trust me or whatever? And it's, it 
seems like he's implying that he's poisoned one. <laughs> yeah. And then David makes a joke about it. Like he addresses it directly. He's like, why is one of them poisoned? And Michael's immediately like offended. He's like, yeah. no, don't, don't, don't joke about such things. Don't joke about such things. We don't do that. And it's like, that's the tell for me where it's like, oh, it's not just fun yacht thefts and like clamp extortion with this guy. He has done serious crimes that he knows he did. <laughs> like, yeah. I would not be surprised if he's actually murdered someone. Yeah, I wouldn't um, be surprised at all. Maybe probably just once to see if he could. And then afterwards was like, well, what's all the fuss about? That wasn't fun. I like to torment people and make them go crazy first. Yeah, yeah. It's like killing is too direct. Yeah, you can't cure the cancer. The money's in fighting it. Yeah, you kill someone and you come right away. I'm tantric about this. <laughs> That's the yeah. kind of serial killer I am. I kill them from the inside out. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating watch. I would definitely recommend this documentary. Like it's a it's a slow burn, but man, it's weird. It's just so weird. And yeah. it's worth it for that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's an A24 horror movie, <laughs> but real. And uh I think that's our episode, right? Hell yeah. It seems Mr. like Mr. Organ. It seems like we did Mr. Organ justice, I guess. Uh, I mean, look, the real justice would be Mr. Oregon behind bars. Yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so, Andy, thank you so much for doing that. Thank pod. you. What do we Thanks have? Thanks for having me. What do we have to plug before we get out of here? Uh, you don't pod.supercast.com. We got a whole bunch of subscription options. You can go check that out if you don't mind. Also, you don't show.link slash shop. We have shirts you can buy. Go buy some shirts and also follow the show on Instagram at True Crime Sucks. We're back to posting on Instagram. So, Ooh. yeah, that's all I got. Andy, what do you got? I got nothing, um, you know, except uh, hold your Democratic politicians accountable for the uh, sweeping anti-trans legislation that's happening and for the uh, funding oh, of our nation uh, to uh, an active genocide. Let's uh, see what we can to do to... Yeah, I like to I like to do a misdirect at first where it's like, yes, oh. this is all here's a problem you didn't expect me to talk about, but it's a problem. And then also the problem that you expected me to talk about. And hey, thanks for listening to True Crime Suck. <laughs> <laughs> New episodes of Look Good for the Boys on the way. <laughs> hey, Andy, we should get out of here. Oh, please. Uh, Andy, say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Good luck. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>